Hi, this is Spider-Man, and I'd love to stick around and listen to amazing spider talk, but Madam Webb just told me Doc Ock is about to kidnap Mary Jane Watson, and, well, a spider's got to do what a spider's got to do. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Thanks everybody for joining us for the first episode of our coverage of Amazing Spider-Man, The Clone Conspiracy. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, and for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, The Clone Conspiracy. <laughs> by Dan Slott and Jim Chung. Discussing your emails and participating in Swarm's B-Title Reviews. Sig Heil! <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome first-time listeners to... A Spider-Man Nazi propaganda <laughs> podcast. Not just in the news, folks. It's in your podcast, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark, let's cut right to it. Our discussion of Amazing Spider-Man, The Clone Conspiracy, number one. Ten years ago, on a cold, dark night. There was someone killed Neath the town hall light There were few at the scene But they all agreed That the slayer who ran Looked a lot like me All right, Dan, so I guess after a few issues of prologue This is the official start of this big event What's the name of it again? <laughs> well, it says on the cover of the clone conspiracy, but on the on the beginning of the story, it says "Dead No More," which to me reeks of last minute ch- title change. Which, Mark, I want to ask you: Do you think? Do you want to bet with me how much? Like, is there an actual conspiracy here? <laughs> conspiracy about the title you mean or uh... no i mean just in this book do you think they just changed it just because they were like dead no more is not lighting up the the the, the call board so to speak or right. uh... so like oh clone conspiracy that sounds catchy i you might be onto something there you, you sound you sound very conspiratorial by talking like that though dan i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well conspiracy is 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 uh i guess in the air these days it's true it's true um yeah i mean it's 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 you you would think you know only only in 2016 would like you know changing something with the word clone actually be a good thing right 
Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so before we get into our discussion of this book, you know, I got a bunch of emails from people last week that said they really enjoyed that we kind of gave a plot summary of the book before getting into it. So this one's actually fairly easy to summarize. So, Mark, do you want to do you want to walk us through the events of this book? Putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I can do it. I can do it. Yeah, why don't you you have it? I don't have it right in front of me. I don't want to, like, miss a key detail. (laughs) Sure. So if you didn't read this book or if you kind of want a brief synopsis, it starts, you know, we're following up the death of Jay Jameson at his funeral where Peter gets blamed by Jay Jonah Jameson uh, for the death of his father. And Peter, you know, like doing his Peter thing under the pen of Dan Slott takes it. In a totally guilty way. And then we've got a couple pages of exposition between Peter and and Anna Maria summing up how we got to where we are in this story before Anna Maria tells him to cut it out. Stop being so guilty. Let's take it into action. So they decide to go and visit uh, Peter's former co-worker who had an organ removed and, and replaced with a new U organ. And they find out that, uh, well, this guy... He's no longer there because he dissolved into uh, – through clone degeneration. Um, puddle of goo. <laughs> yeah, into a puddle of goo or whatever. And so Peter goes, I know what that means and rushes over to New You where he breaks in and discovers the body of this Jerry guy floating in a tank or not even the body. It's like his like limbic system or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then that reveals Miles Warren as a scientist and then reveals uh, the Rhino and Electra to fight Spider-Man. They have a brief tussle. Spider-Man defeats them with the age old tactic of spraying water on them. And then Gwen Stacy shows up and then Dr. Octopus shows up. And that's the end of the first story. And boy, that was an uncomfortable ending for Spider-Man. Yeah, absolutely. And then All right. there's a I could so, I, you want a break? I could probably summarize the second half. Yeah, go for the go for it. Okay. Well, this is probably of the two the more controversial of the stories just because it, it's it's going back over very old classic material, but I guess as a B story, uh, which actually had Ron Friends on pencils, um we uh, revisit the day that Gwen Stacy died in Amazing Spider-Man 121. We even have like some very direct panel, panel for panel homages uh, to the the Gil Kane work. And um, yeah, what we learn is is when Gwen is passed out on that bridge uh, during the fight between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, um, she's she's actually semi-conscious and learns that. Peter is Spider-Man, and you know we also learned that she still blames Spider-Man for the death of her father, uh, Captain Stacy, back in Amazing Spider-Man number ninety, and you know has this very kind of traumatic experience as she's getting knocked off the bridge of thinking to herself, why, why is this happening to me? You know, why, why, you know, what did I do to deserve this snap? Uh, <laughs> which is, you know. Pretty, pretty intense, uh, pretty intense uh, retcon of um, the events from that issue. Um, and, um, you know, then at the end, we, 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 we see the man in red again, and, and we'll be talking a little bit about him in our review. And he, um, you know, reunites uh, Gwen with her father, who they've all, you know, they're not clones. They're, you know, we're, we're, you know, these are fully formed with all their memories and, 
There you have it, Dan. Uh, pretty pretty explosive stuff for, for a B story, right? Yeah. I mean, in many ways, I thought that the B story was kind of the A story here. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to be the one that is probably going to grabs people's imaginations more in terms of where this is all headed. Um, the, the, the first half felt like a standard amazing spider-man story but not in a bad way i don't think i mean we're can we we're, we're are we now getting into the critique? let's do it let's get into yeah it. um yeah i mean i i i don't know if you know pound for pound i enjoyed this as much as the last issue but you know i i i think slot is in a groove right now and you know after having a couple of issues where he wasn't writing peter all that much and you know maybe making you wonder if that was why the book was reading so well because it seems like that was part of the issues here i i like i enjoyed this peter parker in this story a lot i don't know i feel like there's there's we're we're, we're getting a lot of internal you know peter internalizing and being cautious and guilty and all those things but not in that not and I feel in an overbearing way and and I don't know I, I feel like Slot is writing very confidently right now. Do you do do you get what I'm saying in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree with you. I mean, I think this is a very simple issue. It is a catch everybody up to speed, including Peter Parker uh, issue. And uh, but there's some nice touches. You know, like I love the joke that he makes about himself. Uh, Dr. Peter Benjamin Parker, Ph.D. in rationalization. Yes. Uh, I thought that was a great joke. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I love how guilty he feels about the death of, of Jay Jameson. And maybe it's just because I just – even though I love the previous issue, I still don't really care all that much about the death of Jay Jameson enough to blame anyone for it. Yeah, it's more of a device at this point. Uh, yeah. Um, so emotionally, I don't know that I'm there with Peter, and I, you know, I think Slot tends to rely on this guilt complex a little too heavily. But I liked Anna Maria's kind of, you know, goading him to kind of snap out of it and actually do something about his guilt, uh, and that was nice. And kind of fell into that old Mary Jane territory, you know. Uh, so. Yeah. If if I can just cut in there, I mean, I I, I thought. You know, in addition to liking how Peter was written, I, I, I felt this was the best we've seen of Anna Maria um, since since volume three, really, since it started. I mean, we kind of had that issue very early on during the, the reboot in 2014 where, you know, she seemed like she was going to be this like level headed ally of Peter. And then like, I don't know, things got kind of conspiratorial with her and there was questions whether she was still kind of pining for Doc Ock and was going to sabotage Peter and yada, yada. Um, And then of course she kind of also became almost too helpful (laughs) for lack of a better word. I mean, you know, like, like saving the day, but this was, this is to me, this is, this is the role in this universe where she, she works best as, as kind of a confidant because I mean, she is intelligent and she is, level-headed and she she knows she knows peter's secret um but she also has seen a different side of peter from when he wasn't peter um so i i I think her her insights and opinions coming from that perspective have value and add value to this book and i and i and i liked that 
slot went back to that well for the first time I feel in a while. Yeah, I agree. And, and and beyond even just an emotional partner, she seems like a good business partner here too. And and I wonder if it just took Slot writing that issue with her and Peter and Otto with the robot or the living brain rather uh, to kind of like, you know, him sussing it out on the page helped him kind of move forward more confidently about this character and, and where she falls in this territory. And we don't get like a ton of her here, but yeah, she she – She's his like partner in all in all ways except for romantic, and and that feels appropriate. Yeah, definitely, and 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 yeah, she's not in it a lot, but I feel like she plays a very key part in moving the narrative forward in this because otherwise, you know, we probably would have been stuck too much in Peter's head, and and I I, I liked that, you know, her her role in this was to more or less be like just go out there and do what you do. You know what I mean? Like you're capable of doing this, just do it, you know? And, and otherwise, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if the, if we would have gotten to the point of where we got, where stuff was already hitting the fan, so to speak. So uh, quite as organically, it, 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 something would have felt more forced, but I think her just kind of pushing Peter over as someone who he respects to, to, to get to the bottom of the truth with the, with the, Parker Industries employee was 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 a necessary move. She she plays a good counter to Slot's interpretation of Peter Parker. Because mm-hmm. I feel like his interpretation of Peter Parker beyond the guilt, like he feels like he has to justify like ab- almost every action that he takes. Um, it's like a nervousness. Like even in this issue when he's breaking into New You, there's a running monologue of him justifying why it's not like. You know, corporate tampering or spying when he breaks in, and like the old Peter Parker, I think like a non-Dan Slot Peter Parker would have just torn a hole in the wall and gone in, you know, because he knows there's something you know evil going on in there, you know. And uh, I mean, but at that point, he knew that there was clones involved. Like, why even hem and haw about it, you know? Um, and she kind of just kind of goads him forward, and and I like that because then we get to actually see Peter Parker operating in a kind of like headstrong way to a certain degree, and I you know I think this is a good issue of him doing exactly that, even if like what he does is somewhat limited, um, and and additionally in a broader sense, you know about her kind of telling him just go for it. I'm glad that this issue just went for it. Like, it catches Peter up on all the things that the audience knew that he didn't know. So it's a good way to kind of bring in new readers. And I imagine people that haven't been keeping up with Amazing Spider-Man probably enjoyed this issue even more than someone like you or I did. Because a lot of it is kind of exposition and catching you up. But um, I'm glad that we didn't take three issues for him to find out that Miles Warren was involved, like, and that Otto is back, and Gwen is there. Like, we just kind of got it over with. And good. Tear off the bandage, you know? Definitely. I'm ready to move forward. Yeah, you know, the next next trick will be, and, and, you know, we've kind of seen both sides of this from, from Dan Slott over the years, is you know, well, the follow-up chapters, and there's a, there's a number of them with this storyline, but are the follow-up chapters going to continue to move forward, or are we going to kind of be stuck in this neutral position for a few issues? I think that'll be the test of 
what we truly get out of Dead Mo Dead No More Clone Conspiracy, call it whatever you wish. Um He doesn't have a lot of issues. It's only five issues long. Yeah, but the, well, you're talking about specifically just clone conspiracy, but with all the amazing Spider Man tie ins and stuff. I, I mean, you know. Yeah, sure. Although I mean, the first one of those seems to be a flashback, so we'll, you know we'll see. But it's, yeah, you can cover more ground that way. Definitely. Um, so, um, do you want to talk a little bit about the the scene in the lab and how it was rendered and 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 how it came across from a couple of beats? I would like to, but I'd like to finish up the funeral scene and talk about. Gina. Oh, oh, sure, yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to jump around here. No, that's fine. What, what did you so, think of Jonah in this movie? <laughs> and, and your thoughts are? <laughs> <laughs> I think we share similar thoughts, which is that, like, it's an it's a appropriate characterization of Jonah, like, blaming everybody around him for whatever he wants, but that it doesn't really make much sense. Like we said in the previous episode, that he's continuing to blame or be that upset about his father's death when he knows that, like, Marla is alive and that people can be brought back to life by this company. Uh, it's just a weird, like, discrepancy. Do you agree? Yeah. I I, I also, like I said last episode, I, I don't quite understand why Jonah isn't, like, out there with a bullhorn telling people what, what, he, what he knows. Um, that doesn't strike me as typical Jonah. I mean, there, and, and we might, we, we, we can talk about this also a little bit in regards to the second part, but I mean, there, there are, there are certainly some elements to characters that I feel are either being buried or glossed over for for story like convenience purposes. And, And that, and that might be one of them. It's like with, with Jonah, it's like, you know, Chris, I think if Peter saw Marla right away, he would know like this whole thing is no bueno. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah. um, so, but then why, why have Jonah have that information? I don't know. I, it, it, it's, 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 it's still a reveal that doesn't quite make sense to me. And I don't know what can be done, um, going forward to retroactively make it make sense to me, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it contributes to kind of a problem th- with this issue that I have. And, it, and it's not a big problem, but you know, uh, Thinking about the stakes in this book and the emotional pull of this book are the, the primary story in this. It all seems very low stakes, and the stakes that are there are not really – like I don't really believe in the guilt that Peter feels about Jay Jameson's death. So like that doesn't really pull me along into the story because I just don't really blame him for that. Mm. Um, and I don't really buy the guilt that he's feeling either. Because I think he did the best thing that he could possibly have done in the situation. Um, and so, like, the only, like, real threat that we're seeing in this book is that clones exist and Miles is doing something. And I, and I kind of want there to be more to it than that, like, for an event, you know, because this just seems like the original clone saga all over again. Um, I want to know what's unique about this. And I felt like there was a missed opportunity with Jonah and the death of Jay to kind of create an emotional hook. And I'm sure it's coming down the line, but I, I, I don't feel that quite yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like 
everything that's quote unquote different about this story from prior clone stories is is being defined via lip service and exposition. I mean, we're being told this is more than just cloning. This is more than just cloning. But is it though? (laughs) Yeah. What does that even mean? Um, I mean, you know, didn't we establish in the nineties that I, I don't know, like, like, I, I guess, you know, there, there was always this kind of back and forth about people having memories and, and what does that mean? And, and, you know, if the clone only has memories to a certain point, but, you know, having someone having full, full memory of their memories, a recall of their memories, I don't know if that's enough of a hook to make this seem so distinctively different to me. I, 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 I don't know. I, um, and that, that is something that can emerge to be problematic regardless of how enjoyable the story seems on a base level. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I wrote in my review that like all the events prior to this have been big, bombastic, giant battles and things like that. You know, the world stakes. And I like that the stakes here are a lot more intimate and emotional. And we'll talk about that in the, ba- the backup story to this issue. Uh, but I, I'm, if it's going to be that, I feel like the emotional beats need to land a little bit stronger. And I'm not – and like Jonah is a good example of this. I'm not quite feeling it yet in this issue like, like I did in the issue prior where I felt like the emotional setup was – even if I didn't really care about Jay Jameson, like I understood what that meant to the characters in, in the book. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk about the lab now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of not quite as good in 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 this whole setup. I mean, you know, certainly lots and lots and lots of exposition in kind of a hokey way, but um, from a from a sheer ambiance standpoint, I I I, I really love the visualizations of a lot of different things uh, in this sequence. Um, I thought seeing um, the Jerry Salter is the employee that was, you know, the one who got the new U transplant a few issues back kind of just like eyeballs and nervous system in a tank or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, right. like, I mean, that was just such a, that was a chilling image like that, that, that that's one of the, I, I don't remember the last time I read a Spider-Man comic and I had to kind of take a moment to like ooh like that to something like that before I I I I I really enjoyed that but I mean but there were other things like Spider-Man crawling through the ducks and stuff I mean like there was some some really creepy kind of tense visuals uh, throughout this whole sequence that that I felt really picked up the tension a bit of of the uh, the story I really liked the duct sequence because Spider-Man is like cast into like this kind of like void of blackness. And to me, it felt like almost like a portal into a different story. Like he went from the normal New York to like this crazy mad scientist lab. And there's a good joke about it too. Like he goes in there and he's like, clearly, you know, like somebody's up to no good in here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, the Jerry thing is, is really creepy. Um, And, and, you know, Spider-Man's immediately tipped off by like a rather large panel reveal of like kind of a like cowering Miles Warren scientist. And 
And you want to talk about this image of Miles Warren because I think it's kind of significant in a certain way. Well, the fact that he just looks like regular old Miles Warren here. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty normal. We've seen, you know, like when the Jackal was doing Spider Island, he had all of these kind of like crony, like you know, lab scientist Miles Warrens operating around him. But for me, it was like the expression on his face. He almost looked like afraid of spider-man yes and i'm not i'm not used to that from him uh and it made me think like it really like almost in one image evaporated all of my thoughts that miles warren is behind this plan yeah i i and and we'll we'll talk about more specific evidence as it relates to the backup story with that but um yeah again it, it it the red flag for me continues to be if if what we're dealing with in this storyline is just Miles Warren in a new in a new suit, then why are we still kind of showing old Miles Warren and then certainly like a, as you're saying almost like an emotionally uh, a disconnected Miles Warren from what we've seen before in terms of how he would respond to Spider-Man. Um it's it's kind of it's puzzling to me. It, it, there there is something up. I, I you know you 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 maybe this is much ado about nothing. But as we kind of learned in in Goblin Nation and all that, you, you don't just kind of keep not showing the face if you have nothing to reveal. Not that that reveal was satisfying. Not that it was satisfying, but, but there was I mean something to reveal. Yeah, I mean, we 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 knew all along it was going to be something, and um, yeah, I I I I'm starting to think with some of the evidence we're piecing together, this reveal might be better. But again, it depends on what the upshot is. Um, but but yeah, no, seeing Miles Warren as old Miles Warren in a lab coat, um, and then only to see later in the issue. The what I guess we're supposed to believe is the real Miles Warren, you know, the yeah, the, the 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 maybe the beta tested one. I don't know. Uh, in 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 this full, you know, Jackal 2.0 regalia, um, me thinks there's there's something going on here. Yes. So okay, moving on. Uh, the Rhino and uh, Electra or She Electro. As as Spider-Man puts it. Yeah, which I enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed that <laughs> joke too. I, I, I'm going to continue to refer to her by both names moving forward in my writing. There you go. Um, but uh, I enjoyed this fight. I, it was very brief. Um, I thought the ending of it was a little anticlimactic. Like the taking him out with the water in the wall is like the oldest electro trick in the book uh to the but point even of spells, being kind of lame but but he even spells it out for them like you know i can do this with you because you're not the original so you you you're, you're not expecting this which is i think is fair yeah that's fair i mean i, I don't love all the monologuing that's going on during the fight that's where, true like, they essentially tell them they're like basically like yeah i'm new at this this is who i am this is how i got my powers and it's like why would you admit that? I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean, it harkens back to like Spider-Man of the '60s, '70s, and like early '80s. 
you know, I'm currently a level six in strength, but if I hit you three more times, I'll work my way out to level seven. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. I mean, I, I don't know how much I love the rhino getting knocked out by, like, water and electricity. I would think the guy had a little more strength than that. But, I mean, for for narrative momentum, sure, okay. Yeah, and they're just the appetizer, I guess. And, yeah. And, you know, there, we, we see Gwen, and of course, the, the, the reveal for Gwen is that his spidey sense is not going off, which I guess if it was a clone, it would have. Yeah, this is, is kind of spelled out in the B story a bit more, is that there's like a difference between like clones and like reanimations. Right. Which to me, like, like we said earlier, what does that mean? And if like that's what the conspiracy is, is like the reanimations don't set off his spider sense or they have their memories or something. To me, that's like a really like arbitrary, lame, like verbal change to really hang a story around. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Um... I hope there's something more to it. I mean, when I first read that, I was like, oh, maybe it's the real Gwen and the Gwen that was on the bridge was a clone or something like that. Uh... Really shake things up, but you just like, made me groan. Yeah, I know. But I, did, I did some research into it, and he didn't start cloning humans until after her death. Before that, he was doing cloning experiments of another kind. Uh, so, according to chronology, it couldn't be unless Dan Slott changes something. Right. Um, so. I th- like for a second there, I was like, "Oh, maybe Miles Worm was doing tests earlier than we realized, and so the night Gwen Stacy died can be completely retconned." But I quickly like dissolved myself of that, like, because I'm ready for a weird twist, you know? Like, I- I- I'm kind of hoping for it. Like, that's what makes these things fun to talk about is an out of left field twist. Yeah, and I, and I kind of, not for nothing, feel that there ha- there has to be, and I'm fully expecting something weird, but. Um, Someone of Peter's supporting cast has to have been a clone for a certain period of time. I mean, it would be it wouldn't be a good clone story if they weren't if they weren't like this person has been a clone all along or something like that. <laughs> Maybe the Doc Ock who stole his body was a clone. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. We're gonna find out next next week, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. So speaking uh, of which, we get Doc Ock showing up on the final page of the story, and yeah, okay. Yep. I mean, I we've, this, we've expected it for months. Yeah, I need the story now. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're we're finally we're finally gonna get the answer of who robbed his grave. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. From I, think, from I think you and I already know the answer to that. Right. No, I know. I know. But just kind of, kind of funny that. I feel like after after so many years, it's finally we're finally paying it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess the last thing to talk about at this story is the artwork. What did you think about you know bringing in Jim Chung for this story? Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoyed him a lot. I mean, like I said, the, the to me the labs the lab sequences certainly were a highlight to me in terms of kind of creating this creepy ambiance to it. Um, you know. The, the the some of the other material, not that it was not good. It was all very 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 solid artwork. It 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 didn't leave as much of an impression on me. But I feel like you really for this story, you know, the, the name of the story is a, it's a conspiracy. So you 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 kind of need to create. 
this air of of creepiness and and disorientation and i felt like when we got into the heat of the storyline chung more than ably did that so to me it was a success i liked the kind of like relative calm that he gave to the story um Mm. like even in the lab like there's kind of a stillness to a lot of it and i don't mean that it's like a negative like I feel like it's very solidly created and there's a lot of like room for the characters to move and breathe and and all his landscapes kind of like he really utilizes depth and a lot and it made it feel very sturdy to me and I'm just waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under me and I feel like his artwork is kind of like adding to that um, in a certain way. Um, I mean even just how familiar it looks. Like I, his Spider-Man looks like a Ramita senior Spider-Man. And I kind of liked that kind of refreshing callback. Although he has web pits, which I think senior was adamant against. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a very classic look. I mean, I thought the funeral scene was very emotional. Um, Mm -hmm. although I will say like the default position for half of the faces in this book is like this weird grimace that everybody's putting on. Uh, and I like couldn't help but notice that like it seemed to be almost like a recycled look. But I mean, there's only so many ways you can portray people talking in comics, right? Um, so yeah, it, I thought it was a really beautiful looking issue, and uh, I'm ready for some more. I mean, it, it's just like triple A caliber, you know, artwork being given to an event. So you know, bring it on, right? Uh, all right. Well, let's let's talk about this backup story, Dan, because you know before there's, there's certainly a decent amount to parse through here, but yeah. you know, without also getting too too lost in the speculation of it, um, you know, let me let me actually just say first and foremost that, um, you know, people are probably there's probably a contingent of fans that are upset or angry about the fact that. Night Gwen Stacy died, was retconned in some fashion, but um, to me, and I've certainly read Amazing Spider-Man number 121 dozens of times in my lifetime, nothing about this doesn't necessarily not check out. I, I, I like, there's, I, I don't know, like, I, I'm, I'm not seeing anything in what was changed or what was implied where I could be like, no, that's a cheat, you can't do that. I, you know, I, I think everything is is within bounds in terms of, um, you know, Gwen maybe being cognizant enough to to um, to overhear what's happening and just not being able to react properly to it because of some kind of you know sedative or gas or whatever. And also, I I, I felt as as sad as it might make some. To think about, I, I, I think Gwen's reaction to the revelation of Peter being Spider-Man rings true. Um, I, I mean, I, it's to the point where I think it's part of the reason probably why Jerry Conway and Ramita in, you know, killed her. Because it was the, the relationship with Peter at that point was just so it was so. It was there to be there. There was nothing. There was no spark there or anything. I mean, like you know, they had the falling out after Captain Stacy died in in ninety, where and where Gwen went to London, and then like 
you know, they kind of chickened out on that and re- and brought them back together. And then it was just really boring and repetitive from that point on. Like, I, I, I think having her kind of come to resent the fact that Peter kept this secret from her, that works <laughs> to me because it, it, it seems to fit into the context of where those characters were at that point in time. I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I, I like this, but I can understand why someone might find it – I mean maybe not like upsetting on their own personal level but like an upsetting thing to read. And I think that's the point is it's meant to be like – it's meant to twist the knife in your back. You know, like – because like if you read the night that Gwen Stacy died, it's a terrible, tragic you know, story. But you can kind of say like at least Gwen died like – in love, being loved by someone, you know, like, and she wasn't conscious for her death. Like, it's kind of mercy. Like, there, there's a certain level of mercy you can find in it or, like, a, a level of, like, comfort that she didn't have to experience this. You, you know, like, I have to, have to live through that moment. And we've never had confirmation about whether she was – you know, alive or dead or not in that moment. But I think certainly everybody thought she wasn't conscious for it. I mean, does that seem fair to say? It's, yeah, it's fair to say, but. I mean, she clearly looked unconscious. Right. Yeah. Right. She, yeah. But, but again, I don't feel like this book contradicted that. No, I don't think it does either. But what, what, what I'm saying is I could understand it being upsetting to find out that, when in the moments of Gwen's death, she was one like panicking, at, which is it's it's upsetting, and two, uh, like basically like in her mind had decided that the love of her life, like ha- was complicit in killing her father. Whether she was correct or not, like it's an upsetting thing to think that that was her like final moments, even if she's like going to come and find out that what wasn't true is part of this story, the non-clone Gwen died thinking that, you know, these kind of like wrong, like upsetting thoughts. And, and if you treat Gwen like a real person that you've invested emotional capital in, I could see that being upsetting for you. Um, and to me, it was super delicious because like, it really killed me as a reader. And, and yeah, I thought, this is what we're going to get out of this story is some really like screwed up stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. And, 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 and I don't disagree. I, I certainly don't disagree that that was that. I mean, that added as the tragedy, I guess my, my point is that, you know, obviously as, as dark and edgy as, Gwen's death was at the time that it was written, you know, it was still written in the context of, I mean, that was kind of as, as far as they would push the envelope in those days. And we probably would get something very different if a story like that was done today as case in point. But, uh, you know, like, and, 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 but the fact of the matter is I think a case could be made also that, that those probably should have been more of her feelings at the, at the time. Not, not that she knew he was Spider-Man, but like, I don't know, like go back, you know, go back and read those comics from when Captain Stacy died and Peter's pretty effed up to Gwen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. At like, like he's, he's so caught up in his own world of protecting the, his identity 
that I mean he's he's borderline cruel to her in terms of how he's trying to help her cope with her grief because you know she she wants to lash out at Spider-Man and he's defensive about it but like and and it makes you think that they probably that probably should have been a breaking point for them but you know because Instead, Stan, the was the breaking point. Well, right. But instead, you know, Stan wanted them together. So they kept them together. And you're kind of like, you know, so, you know, are we, are we, are we twisting the knife in more? Or are we just kind of correcting something that maybe should have been corrected years earlier by, you know, by the original writer and, and acknowledging like real human emotions that probably existed between these characters, you know? I mean, That's all I'm saying. I, I mean, I agree with you. I can just understand why people would think that that revelation coming seconds before her death was kind of a cruel thing to do to her. Right. I mean, but I guess I guess that's what I'm saying is, is you know, to me, I only get up. I only get PO'd by a retcon if I feel like it. There's there's n- nothing in the original text to lend any credence and thus changes the meaning of the original text. And, and, and to me, this doesn't do that. I mean, you know, not that this is tragic by any means, but to me, a more, a more egregious version of a retcon is kind of like going back to the parallel lives graphic novel where Mary Jane apparently was there the night of amazing fantasy 15 to see Peter change into Spider-Man. Cause that like, you know, that almost disqualifies the number of stories where MJ had to play dumb when Peter would disappear and be Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's right. that that's a more difficult retcon to just, you know, wrap your head around and be like, OK, well, that really doesn't change much. You know, I mean, yeah, people love it because it, it validates the Peter MJ relationship. But that's that's a forced retcon where this it's like this 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 doesn't invalidate anything that happened and to me it only it only accentuates events that probably should have been accentuated at the time you know like 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 i said go back and read the and i'm not saying this to you dan because i know you're not disagreeing with me but to people who are upset about this go back and read asm 91 to like 97 or so i mean it's 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 not pleasant you know it's 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 you know peter is not in the right in those in those issues (laughs) um you know i mean he's not like threatening to beat her or anything i don't want to make it sound like that but it's like you know like if this is truly his great love i mean he's not really showing it (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and, and I think to the to the actual like you know story here, I think it is it is just it is just painful to read it from her perspective, and and you know I don't know how this is going to factor into the story overall, other than I think providing Gwen maybe a motivation to hate Peter, um, but I think that's like super interesting. And and more than anything in the A story, this thing sold me on like the emotional stakes of this story. Like, you know, Dan Slott's going to be willing to take some chances here and and really maybe shake some things up in a big way. Absolutely. And then, um, so let's talk about the other interesting thing in this B story. So, um, Dan, why don't you describe? the very first panel of the of this story and the very last panel and what we see 
Okay, so the first panel of the story is like a – it's a wide, like, framed image of the lower part of the Green Goblin's in-costume mouth doing a big goblin grin, you know, and – and, you know, it's a pretty iconic image, I guess. I mean, it's fairly recognizable, you know, as the goblin's kind of signature grin. Um, and the final image of this book, after the man in red convinces uh, Gwen to take the pill and be a part of his team, we get the same exact angle on his mouth with the same exact grin. So, I think... Mark, I think it's fair to say, and based on other evidence we'll get into as well, 100% the man in red is Norman Osborn. Well, I hate to say 100%, Dan. I'm going to say 100%. I'm putting all my chips in. It's 100% Norman Osborn. Okay. Well, you are you are riding high. I, 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 I'm going to be far more conservative and say uh, I'm about 85% convinced, but, you know, also to be warned of the red herrings. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's some legitimate validity to this theory. I, I, I don't quite know why, and and that's why I hedge at 85%, you know, what, what advantage is it for Norman Osborn to pretend to be Miles Warren or the Jackal or whatever you want to say, um, for this, for this long game of his to be played. I mean, we know that. Norman has this face transplant thing going on right now. And the last time we saw him was, and I don't remember the exact issue number, but he was part of one of the batch of, of last page reveals where we just saw his, his, his head, head all bandaged up as if he had just gotten out of surgery. So presumably four. Okay. Well, again, presumably getting the, the surgery he needs to become the jackal um or back to himself again with a face mask over it there you go whatever but um he's not mason banks anymore he's not mason banks he's not he's not seamus the wrestler anymore (laughs) um so so yeah i mean there's and, and but you 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 found some other things what 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 else is putting you on this on this on this 100% gamble here, Dan. Well, before I even like saw those two images reading through it, I was really analyzing all of the lines of dialogue that he has because I know, you know, like you can identify, I think slot, you know, say what you will about him as a writer, but all of his characters typically have a very unique voice, particularly as Doc Ock. Um, and I thought, okay, let me read what he's writing here to see if I can parse through it. And there's a moment, you know, I mean, like there's kind of a like, formal businessman manner to uh, to the character that does not line up with Miles Warren, who's kind of like a Joker-ass cackling lunatic for most of the time. Um, and so there's that. Then, mm. you know, Gwen wakes up, and my favorite line in the entire book is she steps out of the cloning tube and is told she's in San Francisco. She says, wait, what? California? As if that's the strangest <laughs> thing that's going on right now, that she's in California. Um, but uh, so she goes and she talks to Norman and um, he uh, you know, expresses to her that he wants to be partners with her. But then he goes out of his way to explicitly state 
that um, he wants to be business partners and nothing more than that, um, which to me is not the M.O. of Miles Warren. Um, he does not want to be business partners with Gwen. He wants to be partners partners with Gwen. So for right. Lancelot to go out of his way to say that made me go, okay, this is a businessman. And, I mean, that leads you to Norman Osborn right there. But then he also says after that – Well, can I just to, cut you off? Can I yeah. cut you off for half a second? Yeah, I mean, sure. you know, just, just, to, just to devil's advocate that point for a second. I mean, you know, if, if, if Miles Warren indeed knows that what he's created here is just a reanimated Gwen Stacy and not a clone, you know – Yes, he's he's a bit of a loon, but he's also a highly intelligent person. Perhaps he's aware that a business partnership is probably about as far as he's going to get because there's no way that he's going to get the real Gwen to want to be in a romantic relationship with her college professor. That is a decent counter-argument, but I, I'm still not I, I'm just I, I'm just saying, you know, okay. and, 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 le- and let's just not forget about the time that Norman and Gwen were part were more than just partners too, which, as far as we know, has not been retconned out of continu- you know out of out of yeah. existence. Although Dan Slott has said a number of times that he won't touch it with a ten foot pole. Well, good as he shouldn't, but I'm just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if 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 the reveal is that this is Norman, you know, you know, without without any strings attached, I mean, you know, then. And and if since past is still allegedly part of continuity, then I don't know. Regardless of whether or not the writer wants to touch it, it begs a lot of questions. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, and then the next the next thing is like kind of right after that. He says he wants her to be his partner because he doesn't trust himself. And the last time we really saw Norman in any kind of like grander context was when um, he was essentially cured of his madness at the end of Goblin Nation. And so the big threat was, what is he going to do now that he's not insane, you know? And so to my mind, this could very easily be like why we've gotten such a you know, vocalization of the idea that Jackal – that the Jackal is doing – good things he's creating a better world and he wants to create a better world because he's not insane he is just a very smart guy who is just a little off his rocker or whatever but like he's very sane and he knows he doesn't trust why doesn't he trust himself because he knows that he was insane before and he doesn't want to fall into the same traps that he got himself into previously and not to mention Norman Osborn was behind the second clone saga. So, I mean, come on, Mark. Yes. This is what you we know. call an orgy of evidence. He was, he was behind it after being editorially mandated into it. Yeah. Um, you know, with little, with little build or reasoning. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I think it's a good theory. I don't disagree with it, but I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to go all in on it. All right. Uh, what did you think of Ron Friends' art in this? Oh, we love Ron Friends. Ron, no, it, this is great. I mean, this 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 was the you know it's 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 the perfect choice. It was I was very pleasantly surprised to see he was in this issue. Um, you know, if you're gonna do 
I think this is this is the second in as many Norman flashback issues that we've had him do, huh? Or well, well, yeah, no, this is still technically a Norman flashback because we're going back to 121. So, um, you know, but because he did those um, those issues with Kevin Shinnick in Superior Team Up, right? That yeah, that were kind were of like. So yeah, I mean, like if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of do a story that homages all these eras of Spider-Man past and present. I think you kind of have to have friends do it. He's he's your guy, right? Well, he's very reverential to the people that came before him. So, like, if you're going to have a guy recreate that scene on top of the bridge, like, he he brings his inspirations, like, straight out. I mean, uh, you know, and he does it respectfully. And I, and I think that's the way you've got to do a sequence like this. Awesome. I, I will say, though, Ron, Ron sent me his pencils from the Superior Spider-Man team-up book that he did, and they were so gorgeous. I still feel like he has yet to find an inker who can bring out the, like, awesome like, details and, and and expressive line work that I find in Ron's pencils. And I like I really feel like it's holding him back because it, it keeps his stuff looking very retro, and I think it's, you know, it's appropriate for this story, but, like, I want to see Ron be given a chance to tell, like, a modern-day story because I think his pencils are, are, like, good enough. I mean, beyond good enough. Like, they are – they're not as retro as I think he's being penned in to be. And, and I worry every time he does a story like this that it just reinforces the idea that Ron Friends can only do retro-looking artwork. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, like, for his career-wise, like – uh, I just want to see Ron Friends in a more prominent place in comics today, and I, and I worry that Marvel only calls upon him when they're when they have a, the time to do a flashback. And they're great, don't get me wrong. I just want to see him doing Spider-Man that's not looking back. Fair enough. All right, well, you want to give a grade? Yeah, sure. I'm giving this one a B. It's a really solid first chapter, and I'm ready to see Dan Slott to actually start like surprising us through things that we weren't really expecting. Although I think if it's Norman Osborn's The Man in Red, I don't think either of us were quite expecting that. But I'm calling it now. All right, I'm saying B plus. Awesome. While he's covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. It's time for Swarms B title reviews. It's time for Swarms B title reviews. Hello, Dan and Mark. Seagal, before we get started today, there are a few things I need to address on the podcast this week. Yeah, what is it this time, Swarm? There have been rumors, huge, huge rumors. The only reason I am appearing on this show is to serve as a real-life political allegory for the transpirings of your real world. Swarm, are you sure this is really the venue be, to be discussing this? <laughs> well, believe me, these rumors are not true. I am here to serve as your voice, and I alone can deliver the greatest content this podcast can have. He 
and Leonard. There are people conspiring against me, mainly Dan and Mark, who are criminals in bed with the corporate establishment that wishes to destroy comic book criticism for everyone. I am your only hope. Swarm, is there something wrong with your microphone? You're sniffling an awful lot. No, no, it's just, it's just buzzing. And the microphone doesn't work. It's just a conspiracy, you know, because I'm made out of bees. Conspiracy. <laughs> Can you just make a bad bee joke and go away, please? Just get out of here. Fine. Next up, Dan and Mark will come through the Spider-Man bee books. <laughs> Hopefully they won't be a buzzkill about your favorite books. Now I will kill you out of bees. All right, thanks. See you later, Swarm. <laughs> Mark, uh... Swarm seems to be kind of emulating figures within the popular consciousness. Well, you know, it, we are we are nothing but but not current, or we are not. Well, let me let me rephrase that, Dan. We are current here on Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs> All right. Well, you made it to it. All right. So before I, continue, I, I I was amazed though. Do bees have nostrils? I, I don't. I would imagine so. Because I I heard the sniffing too. He also was, like, standing very close to me as I was, like, you know, just kind of yielding the microphone to him. He did was he, still, did like, he defile I, your chair? Yeah. <laughs> totally defiled it. Uh, I think he's going to threaten to throw me in jail next. But anyway. Before uh, we lose <laughs> more listeners, let's get into the reviews of these B-Bucks. So, uh, yes. Mark, uh, what are we talking about first? Uh, we're, well, we're going to actually start with a, a, rel- a new title uh, for the rotation. We'll see how long we maintain this one. Uh, this will be uh, Champions, and we're going to be doing Champions number one. That's by uh, Mark Wade and Umberto Ramos. So, Dan, why don't I count you in, and you can kick off the festivities in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, I find it really bizarre that Mar- Marvel continues to delay its events without delaying the titles that rely on the conclusions of those events to fully make sense. And Champions, number one, is one of those. And it's a fine comic, and in some ways it's a lot of good, lightweight fun. But the central premise of this book is undermined by the fact that we don't really know why there's an ideological shift between generations of superheroes or what that even really means. I had a lot of fun reading all of my favorite characters in this book, and I think they'll make for a great team. But the central premise behind Champions and Miss Marvel's defection from the Avengers, who, quote-unquote, won't really fix the problems, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But that said, mm, Humberto Ramos, his art is just wonderful, except for, I'll say it, when he draws women, especially that he's drawing sex slaves in this, which he seems to find a reason to sex up. He's got to rein it in, seriously. So I'm going to say this one is, uh, it's buzzworthy. All right, count me in. All right, three, two, one. Well, I truly uh, enjoyed the overall vibe of this book, despite the fact that I, I was a little leery of uh, what Wade was going to bring to the table. I mean, I was not a huge fan of the all-new, all-different Avengers that he had worked on with many of these same characters. Um, but for me, I mean, putting aside the Civil War II tie-in or lack thereof, I, I, I think the premise behind this story that the Marvel kids are sick of the Marvel grown-ups screwing up the world that they live in, uh, it resonates greatly both from a comic book storyline standpoint and from a real-world perspective. The, the book reaffirms why I will always be a fan of Umberto Ramos. 
uh, I guess sex slaves aside. Uh, and I envision myself legitimately wanting to follow these, this cast of characters through at least an arc or two. Um, hopefully I can find something that will continue to stick uh, the landing for me. Uh, so for now, I'm going to say Buzzworthy. We talked about the first issue of a series, Mark. Now let's talk about the last issue of the series. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of comings and goings. we got Web Warriors number 11 here, Dan. Why don't you start in three, two, one? Yeah, unlike uh, many of the other early cancellations of series, I'm thinking of Scarlet Spider, uh, Web Warriors number 11 doesn't feel like a rushed or sloppy production. It closes up a lot of dangling threads, but doesn't feel obligated to, you know, detangle all of them. And uh, while I thought the second arc of this series felt like a repetition of the first arc, and this is a fun ride worth checking out if you love Spider-Man and you don't take his adventures all too seriously. So if you didn't check out, you know, Web Warriors, this might be a trade worth picking up all in the end. So uh, I'm giving this final issue a thumbs up. It's buzzworthy. I'm going to say, thumbs up. These don't have thumbs. Yeah, that's true. They don't. I know that. They might have nostrils, but they don't have thumbs. All right, Mark, counting you in in three, two, one. Yeah, I've been punching down on this series for for months now, so I guess I'll spare people and mention uh, that in terms of concluding chapters go, like you said, Dan, I think Web Warriors 11 did a pretty admirable job in resolving things. And also kind of as an addendum what you said with like Scarlet Spider and Venom and some of the other books that have been canceled in recent years, I felt it, it, it left a very optimistic air about itself in the future of its cast. In in recent years, I feel like some of those final chapters have almost been tinged with a little bit of bitterness from its uh, creative teams. Uh, But I think with with this one, the Spider Office uh, is actually trying to keep the door open on some of these properties. Um, I don't think they're going to go very far outside of maybe a mini here and there. Um, but, I, you know, certainly Web Warriors has, has left a good taste in people's mouths about a lot of these properties. Uh, and quite frankly, it's nice to have some sunniness in a final chapter. So I'm going to say Buzzworthy. Awesome. So uh, on the opposite side of sunniness, I think, is Spider-Woman, kind of a dark issue. Spider-Woman number 11. Do you want to talk about it? Um, do we have a choice, Dan? No, we don't. Okay. Well, then you can start in three, two, one. I have to say it, Mark. uh, This is the second issue in a row that didn't work for me. And perhaps it's influenced by my relatively limited knowledge of Spider-Woman's history prior to this series. But nothing in this comic has sold me on her reaction to Banner's death and subsequent falling out with Carol. Much less enough to ignore Carol's pleas to discuss things and not fight. And I know Jess is a bit brash and arrogant at times, but this feels so forced narratively that I just can't really appreciate any of it. It just is a real disconnect. So, Spider-Woman, you were my favorite comic, and I hope we can get you back, but uh, I just can't turn a blind eye to the nonsense, I think, that's going on in these current books. So, nine from me. Nine, 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 nine. And by nine, you mean no, not nine out of ten. No, no, no. It is, it is, a, it is a solid no. So what about you, okay. Mark? I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm quite as harsh as you on this, Dan. But um, personally, I, I actually think I'm at the point of the series where I can start picking some nits with it and probably come across as sounding more negative than I intend to be. I mean, I I still like Spider-Woman, and there are even some things in the story that I like, although I agree about the lack of justification on, on some of the relationships here, um, especially the break between Jess and Carol. But... 
Uh, yeah, it was still a decent read for me, but for m- the bigger problem going on right now with me and Spider Woman is I- I'm disappointed in how the series is moving further and further away from uh, kind of the thesis of why they rebooted it in the first place, which is being this platform to show a single female superhero having it all in terms of hero life and family life, with a, as a as a mother, or having it all in term maybe having it all is the wrong term, but but struggling to have it all is probably the best way to put it. Um, I think in moving away from that, it, it dulls some of the impacts of her falling out with Carol because that sense of betrayal there that could have been uh, could have been leveraged for a more realistically fraught story, especially with Carol's role uh, in the birth of her child and all that. Uh, so I'm not unendorsing this. Maybe I'm just uh, not going to answer any more questions about it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm going to say nine for now. <laughs> nine, 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 nine. And I'm not unendorsing it either. I still think it's like, you know, a gem of their comics line. But like these past two issues just haven't made much sense to me. You're not. You're, you're just disappointed in what it what it said, but you're not unendorsing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I find it completely reprehensible, but but I'm still, you know, would tell you to go check it out. I think I, I think I heard the phrase today: reprehensible endorsement. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. All right, we're really getting into hot water here with the with Spider-Man Deadpool number nine. Disagree with hey, that. Hey, speaking of speaking of apolitical, Spider-Man Deadpool number nine. <laughs> <laughs> you could go in three, two, one. All right, Mark. Well, there are so many cool ideas going on in this series that I don't even know where to start. This issue is uh, a bit of a step down, I think, from the wackiness of the normal series with a pretty standard but hilariously funny team up against D-list villains, including our favorite Swarm, who is a welcome surprise in this issue. Uh, but it's a, it's a welcome grounding and one that I found really enjoyable. Um, however, my favorite new concept in this book is that Spider-Man and Deadpool seem to be rubbing off on each other. And I, I think it's a really interesting relationship that I can't wait to see play out. And I love the idea that Deadpool could always fully heal himself but is being held that back by his, like, you know, like, I guess emotional – uh, difficulties or whatever. I think that's really interesting, and I hope Joe, Joe Kelly can mine this for drama and not just for laughs. So I'm going to say buzzworthy for this one. All right. Well, why don't you count me in? All right, Mark, count you in in three, two, one. Well, I was just wait. What, what's what, what? Oh, oh, Swarm is here. Yes, I appeared in this issue. Therefore, it is mighty and great to suggest anything else will be a travesty worthy of death and destruction. Buzzworthy. All right. All right. Uh, do, do, do I still get my time, Dan? Or You're going. You got 40 seconds left. Oh, God. Uh, so um, considering how there's a Nazi made a bee standing next to me, I guess I can't add much more, and I certainly wouldn't disagree with him. Um, I will say, unlike what you said, I, I actually felt that there was still some zaniness to this issue, maybe with the D-list characters. Um, and I feel that this series is at its best when it kind of plays up plays up the weird and the unexpected. Um, but I, I also like that there's some nice character work going on, showing that kind of convergence of sorts between Spider-Man and Deadpool um, that's keeping the book moving forward. So, yes, Swarm and Dan, Buzzworthy. That was scary. Is he, go- is he gone yet? Yeah. 
Oh, no, that was just me. I'm sorry. Something was on my nose there. Okay, all right. So next up is Spider-Gwen number 12. I'm going to count you in, Mark. In three. No, you're, I'm going to count you in. Oh, in you're gonna, this is how it is. Yeah, because you go first. Oh, that's okay, that's, all that's right. the rules we established today. No, you three, go, Mark. No, you go in three, two, one. <laughs> Yeah, this is probably the best issue of this series since Spider-Gwen's introduction, and excellent enough to quickly put Spider-Gwen back amongst the best comics I've read from the Spider-Office in, dare I say it, in years. I had no doubts that Jason Latour would conclude the Punisher story with absolute grace, but that the story touches on police culture, toxic masculinity, and moral obligations make it one of the most slyly substantial works of comic pop fiction that I've read this year, so... Buzzworthy, really buzzworthy for me. Wow, high praise. All right, counting you in. This time you're going to go in three, two, one. Don't go over your two minutes. <laughs> well, somewhere along the past few months, this book regained its footing as probably the best series the Spider of Office has to offer. So I'm agreeing with you there, Dan. Uh, this issue was both harrowing and character driven, and uh, it's just ducking and jiving so quickly. I honestly really can't predict which way it's going to go next. Um, at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, this is what superhero comics need to look like in 2016, folks. Uh, the series is very much alive and well with a flawed hero and a stellar supporting cast and rogues gallery. Dad, just echoing your thoughts about just kind of the playing off of of real life issues uh, versus pop culture issues. Uh, read Spider Guard, folks. Uh, buzzworthy. Awesome. All right, Mark. I think it's time to close out the show. Yes, and hopefully no more B uh, B jokes and B invasions. And, but you know, and, in the. And really sly, biting political satire. Oh, only the slyest and most biting. All right. Well, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcast at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. Yeah, additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. Mark, we're going three for three next week as we'll be talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 20, which obviously purports to tell us the story of how Dr. Octopus found his body and appeared in the issue we just talked about. So uh, I'm guessing that should be an exciting conversation. So be sure to tune in next week for that conversation. Mark. Where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, uh, of course, you can find me on uh, superiorspidertalk.com or at least find past articles that I've written there. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. And, Dan, you can find both of us in a recent uh, article from Hollywood Reporter about the best comic book runs of all time. Um, you should probably put that link in, in here and, and people can hear what, what smart, handsome things we had to say about comic books. Only the smartest and most handsome. Exactly. And Dan, yeah, what about that you? That link will be in the show no- notes. Yeah, you can find me as well on superiorspidertalk.com. You can meet, read my movie reviews at grindmyreels.com. I just put up a review of the film Storks, which I'm sure everybody's really excited about. No, go see Storks. It's really hilarious. Um so yeah, that's that's a lot of fun, and you can find me on Twitter at at sup spider talk. Uh, you know, Mark, I remember you telling me about that one time 
that you switched bodies with your Uncle Ben, and it was actually you who died what, that one random time. What was it like to experience one of his, you know, eventual deaths from his first-person perspective? Yeah, you know that that was that was kind of weird. It was it's, you might say it was an out of body experience, right, Dan? Huh? Yeah, you could say that, Mark. Well, you know, I I, I just. One of the things I need to point out, I, I want to clarify some things that I learned from experiencing Uncle Ben's death. I mean, first of all, um, Joey the Elbow indeed only uses his knees, and those knees hurt. Um, the mob ties, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been choked by a mob tie, but it's pretty bad. Um, you know, very constricting. Um you know, I probably my favorite of the deaths that I got to experience that in, in this very weird fever dream that I, where I experienced 900 different deaths of Uncle Ben. Is that what it was? Uh, it was a fever dream? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I couldn't those, remember the specifics. Because those were the words that just came out of my mouth, Dan. So all we right, just need to right. go with it, okay? Okay, all right. <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 the getting attacked by monkeys... Um, you know, what was most distressing about that was their, their breath smelled of fruit pies oh. when they were eating, eating my face. Oh. <laughs> and that was a little humiliating because it's like, you know, those fruit pies, I, you know, they're tasty when you were like six, but you don't want to like, you know, smell that on you as you're dying. Do you think uh, that having eaten your face, these monkeys, it kind of cut the smell? Yeah. 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 Um... You know, I certainly just smelled my own flesh and, you know, the plus, plus all the, the blood curdling screams that I was emitting. I mean, you know, like who really cared about the smell after that? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, so the, the moral of the story is, um, you know, you got to walk a mile in a man's shoes. Um, I walked many miles in Uncle Ben's very blood soaked shoes. Um, you know, when, when, when it came time for him to yield his body back to me. Um, you know, just randomly because that's that's usually how those things work. I mean, you know, there's not there's not cause for it. You just kind of give up, right? Once you've switched bodies. <laughs> I, I I mean, from all my experiences, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, he 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 put on the helmet and and gave me my old body back and said to me, "With great podcast must also come amazing spider talk." Don't, don't miss the next. Instance.